Right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the firehouse. Glad you guys all joined us this morning. My name is Jeff. We're going to um, have a lot of fun this morning, hopefully. Watch a couple video clips, talk about some really good stuff. So I'm glad you guys joined us this morning. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to go through this book with all of you guys. Hopefully all of you guys are reading it, you're getting in. If you missed Tim's teaching last week, Tim talked about Chapter 2, talked about image, and he talked about photobombing. That was, if you guys remember that, that was pretty cool, <laughs> pretty funny. I, I kind of came in on the last part of it because I was counting, and I was like, what's Jesus standing over that lady's shoulder for? <laughs> So my wife had to fill me in on what he was talking about, but it was good. It was really good teaching about how we need to have a correct image of ourselves, what our image should be, and that we need to be striving to live in the image of Christ and not the world. What an amazing truth, since our world is so full of selfishness. Our world's full of it. It's everywhere. Everywhere we look. Everywhere you look, we're told to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to say a certain thing, to have a certain type of job, to live in a certain type of house. Everything is based on image in our world. And it's, it's, the truth is, the view of our image, that image is totally wrong. It's totally wrong. It's divisive. It's against what Christ and God would want us to have an image of. Because it's all about self. It's all about me. Well, on the other hand, we're to put on Christ. Our goal is to put on Christ, which at the very core just means being totally selfless. It means being selfless. It means letting Christ shine through us. It means not being ourselves, but letting Christ shine through us. How many of you guys were able to make discussions, small group discussions this last week? All right, good crew, good amount. Some of you aren't raising your hands. That's all right. That's all right. I encourage you guys to make it this week. Try really hard. There's a list on the website. It's a really, really good time. We, we sat and had a really good discussion this last week, just around a circle, and people were throwing out thoughts from the book, and we got into discussions about image, and, and we really just dug in. The struggles we were having, the blessings that we have when it comes to our image because of Christ, it was, it was a really good discussion. We all decided in our group that to keep the correct view of our image is a constant fight, and we saw that in the book. Too, and when we let down our guard, we become passive. We, we, it leads to our unraveling. It leads to us falling apart. It leads to us being destroyed. And so we need to fight. We need to constantly fight. Even if you feel like you're worn down, maybe you're a little tired, you need to fight. You need to fight. This morning I want to continue to look about that and look about that thought of fighting just a little bit um, and how important it is. And then I want to look at it. We're going to look at a couple twisted motives. That's why the title's twisted this morning. Twisted motives that we have when it comes to living our lives for the gospel. But first, let's just pray, and we'll ask God to bless our short time here together. Well, God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you have each and every one of us here. God, we thank you that you are in us. God, we thank you that uh, you, you are shining through us. God, that we don't have to fall into this world. We don't have to fall into what this world says. We don't have to fall into what this world says we should be or should do or, or any of that. God, we're different. God, we're different because of you. God, we're different because of you. And God, I pray that you would help us as we're, we're looking at these ways that we kind of twist our motives into following you this morning. God, I pray you'd make them clear to us. God, what we're doing them in our lives, the areas in our lives where we're falling into this um, area where we're, where we're just not really focusing on you. God, and I pray that you would help us to see that clearly and as we work through uh, this morning and, and come to next week to where we get the real answer. God, I, I pray. God, you, you'd just be challenging us. You'd be working on our hearts. God, you'd be speaking to one, each one of us. God, I pray that we'd walk out of here this morning having something in our life that we're looking at going, man, that's not good. God, I need, I need to grow in that. Help me grow in that. God, I pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so fighting the good fight. 
I, li- I really like how this the chapter started off in chapter 3. If you haven't read it yet, that's alright. There are still some books back there. If you need one, feel free to just take one. But he says this right at the beginning of the book, and it really kind of set my mind running. He says this, he says, There are many things worth contending for, especially as Christians. Our churches should be filled with fighting. Fighting for justice, for peace, for holiness, for perseverance, for faith, for one another, and for the gospel. The problem is, many of us don't fight, or we fight for the wrong things. To be frank, some of us Christians fight like cowards, backing out of the fight of faith. Others fight like bullies, beating up themselves or or others. Everyone tends towards one direction or another. So it's a fight. We're in this fight here. We're in a fight. We see this pretty clearly throughout some of these, uh, Paul writing to Timothy here. In 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says it again in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. And again in 2 Timothy 4, 7, we see Paul talking about himself. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Men and women, I don't know about you. I want to be like this. I want to be like Paul when it comes to the end. I want to fight the good fight. I don't want to fight like a coward. Everything, everything in my core just fights against being a coward. I hope you have that same deep desire somewhere in your heart. You don't want to be a coward. You want to fight for what's good. You want to fight the good fight. We must not back down from the fight. We see it there in some of those. They shipwreck their faith. We're destroyed when we back down, when we quit fighting, when we just get passive and we give up. Our faith gets shipwrecked. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Satan wants to happen. He wants you to get passive. He wants you to get tired of fighting the fight. He wants you to just give up a little bit. He desires to discourage us and he wants to, he wants to get us down. He wants to get us down on ourselves. And if we let down our guard, even for an instant, if we're holding up our hands and we're fighting but we let it down, what happens? As soon as you let down your hands, you get clocked. <laughs> get that good left hook from Satan right on the chin and he takes you out of the game. That's not good. You've got to keep the hands up. You've got to fight. You've got to keep fighting. The encouraging thing is, is that we don't fight alone. We're not in the ring by ourselves. We're not in there like Rocky trying to fight by ourselves. We've got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters right next to us. They're right next to us and they're helping us out. They're watching our backs. They step in for us and they make that block when we're tired and we let our hands down because they love us and they care about us. But it only happens if we let those people into our lives. It only happens when we let each other, each of your brothers and sisters, men and women, into your lives. And you let them know deep down in your core what you struggle with, what challenges you. You can't, they can't be protecting you if they don't know what they're trying to protect you from. And they're trying to help you. We have, to, we have to be open and honest with them. We have to really just lay out everything. We have to be transparent and we have to be accountable in everything. If we choose not to take a step of faith and grow, if we choose just to keep doing it on our own and fighting it on our own, then we'll have to fight the fight alone in the ring with Satan. And that's bad. In the instant again, we let down that guard. As soon as we drop our hands, he takes us out. He takes us out and he destroys us. Whether you've ever been in an accountability group or not, or had an accountability partner or not, 
there's somewhere we all in us we have an impulse to either keep the rules or break the rules. It just kind of runs in us. Some of us tend to be rebels. Some of us tend to be rule keepers. People that really try and follow what the, what the word says, what the law says. And we usually tend towards one another. The first way that we can try and hold each other accountable is by having just a checklist of do's and don'ts. Something that you do, do all these things, don't do all these things. And we spend time going through them. And in these groups, we challenge each other. Try to do better. Try to do better. Follow these things. Do a better job following them. I've been in different accounting groups in the past where a lot of the check marks have been negative things. They've been things, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. This can be good. They can be good if they're focused on the right things and if they have the positive in, in context there. Uh, in James 5.16, it says this. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Get that. It's a step there. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A lot of time, though, when these things are happening and we're in these accountability groups, is we get frustrated. We get frustrated because someone continues to stumble or you continue to stumble. You're in this group and it's the same thing. Every week you show up and you've got the same thing that you're stumbling on, the same thing you're stumbling on, the same thing you're stumbling on. And, and those other people in the group can start to judge that person and go, oh, man, this guy's never going to get it. He's never going to get it. But what are we missing in those groups? We start to judge them instead of calling them to repentance, calling them to confess their sins to us and to God. Just like that verse says, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Remember, God's already, God has taken that punishment. Christ's already been punished for your sin. It's already been dealt with. He's been punished for that sin. Becomes, so, you, so instead of focusing on that and focusing on confessing it and repenting of that sin, we focus on keeping the rules. All right, all right, all right. I've got to keep this box. I've got to check that box. I've got to check that box. And so instead of growing in our relationship with Christ, we grow about ourselves. We think about ourselves. We're focused on so much on what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Instead of what's Christ done for me? I need to grow my relationship with Him. I need to grow deeper. I need to get to know Him better. The other way that we can go about accountability, this is kind of the other side of the coin, is we just confess the sin, we get together, we confess the sin to each other, and then we just give each other a good old pat on the back. Sorry, bro, that's happening. Praying for you. And that's it. That's, that's where it ends, right there. We don't truly help each other to confess our sins, to get them out on the table, to confess them to God and to grow in our faith. There isn't an urgency to help each other to grow. It just becomes an endless cycle. You start. You just come every week, like I was sharing before, and you just, oh, hey, I did this this last week. Sorry, guys. Okay, I did this this last week. And you keep doing that, and you keep doing it. And pretty soon you go, well, hey, this isn't working. This, I'm not growing. So you quit sharing those things. And then you start doing other things, and you quit sharing those. And pretty soon you're not even sharing with your accountability. But it's just because you're not truly confessing those sins. You're not getting them out. You're not praying about them with each other. You're not doing like that verse in James says. We have, to, we have to confess our sins to one another. We have to pray for one another. That's how healing comes about. So the obvious question becomes, well, what does a good accountability group or accountability partner look like then? The answer is one where that true confession happens. Where true confession happens. I like this quote. He put it in his book here. He said, those who avoid confession surrender the fight. They put up the white flag. If you're not confessing your sins, you're just giving up. You're surrendering the fight. If we're not praying for one another and we're not confessing our sins to one another, we're not going to be healed. That, that verse is very clear. You have to confess your sins to one another. You need to pray together. And then the healing happens. I like another description he used here. A very good mind picture for me of what happens if we don't. If we don't do this. He says, but like an undiagnosed cancer patient, we carry on everyday life, ignorant of the deadly disease growing inside of us, unconfessed sin. 
There isn't a single one of us in this room that if we knew we had cancer, wouldn't do something about it. We would go. We would seek treatment. Yet when it comes to our sin, we just let it hang out. We just let it hang out in there, unconfessed and growing out of control like cancer in our lives. We let it destroy us from the inside out, and we don't truly confess it. All of us sin at one time or another, and we need to confess those sins. It needs to be done. Only those who are honest about that sin and confess it receive the blessing of forgiveness. That's the only way you receive that blessing of forgiveness. Now, don't get me wrong here. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and as your Lord and Savior, then every sin you have done and every sin you will do has been forgiven. It's been forgiven. But you don't feel the blessing of that forgiveness if you hold on to that sin and you don't confess it to God. You won't feel that. And it's clear it says that here in 1 John 1.9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have to. You have to confess your sins to feel that cleansing, to be cleansed, to feel clean. You have to confess that sin. And then that's how you, you get cleansed from all that unrighteousness. It's a way of rejecting our selfish image. It's a way of... Of, of returning to that image of Christ when we confess it and we give it up. We're, we're Christ's child. It says that many times in the Word. We're His children. But we need to get that off our chest. We need to confess it to be cleansed from it. Jesus bore the penalty for our sin, but He gives us grace as His children. The big problem we have here is that a lot of time we don't run to Christ with our confession. We don't. It's, just, it's our flesh. It's our world. It's everything around us. We don't receive His forgiveness. We don't truly believe the message of the Gospel. We don't believe it. We, we believed it once when we got saved, but we forget the message the rest of our lives. And so what we do is we have two twisted ways. We take two ways that we try and reconcile ourselves to Him instead of believing this verse. Here's another verse for you. 1 John 2.1 It says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We forget that truth. We forget that He's there, that He's there speaking on our behalf. We try and do it on our own. And there's two different ways we try and do it. I have a little movie clip here. Let's watch it. And we'll talk about this twisted motive. So I want to turn down the lights. As you can see, I have provided everything a child might need. Alright, 
for those of you who have been to our house, you now know where we got that idea of the pee-pee and poo-poo here sign for our kids that we have on the wall. <laughs> no, just kidding. I really like that depiction. I like, I like that depiction of how we can have tons of rules set up. There are a lot of rules. And you can see what rules do. Did those kids look too happy there at the end? They didn't look too happy. Well, what can we do? <laughs> that's kind of the mindset, right? We have all these rules. Well, what can I do that's okay? If I can't do all these things, what can I do? We try to follow and we try to make others follow those rules that we have set up. It becomes all about the rules. It's all about the rules, all about the rules, instead of just enjoying our lives, enjoying our relationship with Christ. We're so focused on the rules, we forget about the relationship aspect. This can definitely be my bent, for those of you who know me. I'm definitely a type A personality. I like the checklists. I like the boxes. I like to check them all off. Okay, I'm 75%. Okay, I'm 100%. I'm not marking them off. The problem with mindset or motive is that we tend to measure our worth by it. We measure how well we're doing by how well we keep the rules. How am I doing? How am I doing at keeping the rules today? Oh, man, I didn't do good today. I'm terrible. I feel terrible. You just have this in your gut. You're like, man, this is a rough day, and I, I'm not good. I'm not a good person. Here's a definition of legalism in the book. It says this. says, legalism is the tendency in the human heart to measure our worth by how well we perform. It likes to keep the rules and is driven by performance. Religious performance operates on an assumption. If I perform well, God will accept me. Personally, to me, this is the motive that's more dangerous than the other one because it's so subtle. It's so subtle. It's so simple as a disciple to fall into this mindset because it seems like it's a good thing. It seems like it's a good thing. All right, this is a good thing. I've got all these things. I'm doing these things. I'm, I'm a good disciple. We read our Bibles regularly. We pray. We fast. We serve every chance we get. We share the gospel. We make disciples. We avoid the world. We, we push it out. We do what's right. We expose the wrong in the world. Those are our things we're doing. Which in and of themselves are good things. Those are good things. Those aren't wrong. Those aren't bad things. Except when it comes to checking boxes on those things. When that becomes the ultimate goal. When it's we're doing those things because we're checking the boxes. When that's our motivation behind it. When we quit doing those things in obedience to Christ. When it quits being about our relationship with Christ. And we start doing them to impress God. We start thinking highly of ourselves. We have a good day. Alright. I checked off 10 out of 10 boxes today. Awesome. It's a really good thing. But when we do less of those things, we check off maybe two the next day. Oh, I feel terrible. And you feel poorly about yourself. We become focused on ourselves and our performance instead of Christ and His performance. We can think, did I share the gospel enough this week? Man, I had a couple opportunities I didn't share. Did I read my Bible enough this week? Oh man, Monday was rough because of this and school and work and I just didn't have time. And again, these questions aren't bad. Those aren't bad questions. Those are good questions. Those are good questions as long as they lead you to better obedience. As long as you're going, okay, I want to do this because I love Christ, because of what He did for me. But they can also be, on the other side, things that make you feel like, oh, I'm trying to do this for God's approval. And that's where it turns bad. That's where they turn bad. Another quote from the book, Religious performance deceives us by saying, Impress God and He will approve of you. The truth of the gospel, however, says you don't have to impress God because Jesus has impressed Him for you. Remember that. You don't have to impress God. You don't. Because Jesus has already impressed Him for us. 
He served and obeyed God, not to receive His love, but in response to the love He's already given us. He's given us everything. When we forget this truth, when you forget that core truth, it becomes about our actions and how well we can do. It becomes about our actions and how well we can do. We have to fight against this mindset. Here's the fighting thing again. This is a chance for you to swing. You have to fight. You have to fight to keep that mindset. The other twisted motive we can have is licentiousness, which that's kind of a, a weird word. Uh, um, or it just means essentially freedom from rules. That's, that's the mindset, spiritual license. Let's watch another movie clip here, and then we'll talk about it. Thanks. See a man of advancing years throwing caution to the wind. It's inspiring in a way. My years are not advancing as fast as you might think. More coffee, hon? Yeah, just keep it coming, please. Sure thing. Don't you worry about cholesterol, lung cancer, love handles? I don't worry about anything anymore. What makes you so special? Everybody worries about something. That's exactly what makes me so special. I don't even have to floss. You are. The wretch, concentered all in self. Living shall forfeit fair renown, and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprung, unwept, unhonored, and unsung, Sir Walter Scott. (laughs) (laughs) What, you don't like poetry? I love poetry. I just thought that was Willard Scott. I was confused. Do you think I'm acting like this because I'm egocentric? I know you're egocentric. It's your defining characteristic. (laughs) I love that movie. I thought it was appropriate. Seems how Groundhog Day wasn't that long ago. It probably does get a little old after the fifth time he wakes up and the same song's on the radio and he hits the alarm clock and he's like, is this ever going to (laughs) end? But I really like uh, the representation of how I think you can get into that mindset. He, for days, did the right thing, tried to do the right thing, and then he was like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Whatever, throw all the rules out the window. I'm going to eat what's going to kill me. I'm going to smoke. None of it matters. I'm going to try it all. The The problem there is that we make freedom our God. Freedom becomes our God. We put that God of freedom on the pedestal. We're free to read the Bible or not. We're free to drink all the alcohol and get drunk if we want to. We're free to share the gospel, or not. It's kind of scary sometimes. I don't enjoy doing it all the time. Why does it really matter? We're free, right? I'm free from everything. We become enslaved to the freedom, and in the end, it makes us empty. You don't believe it when you're stepping into it, but in the end, it makes, it, it makes us feel empty inside. There was a, a time in my life in college where I turned to this freedom. I thought, all right, I've been the good kid all along, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try doing some of these things. So I started dating a girl against the counsel of every single guy that was around me. They said, this is a bad idea, you shouldn't do it. I said, I know better, I'm free, I can choose. There's nothing wrong with dating a girl, I can do it. So I made my own decisions. Well, as time went on, I, I focused more and more on her and less and less on God. I turned away from God. I 
decided I didn't need to read my Bible every day, and so I didn't read the Bible consistently. I decided I didn't need to go to small group. It was just once a week. What, no big deal if I miss it for a couple weeks. No big deal. I didn't need to be sharp when it came to my purity. Uh, whatever, I'm free. I can do whatever. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, right? I made many choices that I thought would be free, and in the end, it made me feel empty. I had a huge hole. Something was missing. I hadn't trusted God with any of it. None of it. And all the things he was calling me to were just limiting my possibilities. That's what I thought. All right? I can't do that because, oh, well, he's, it's going to limit my possibilities, so I want to do this. I came to the realization that not only was this so-called freedom false, but it was destroying my life. It was. I was making really poor decisions based on freedom because I was free to. I repented of that sin and I turned back to him and ever since... He's blessed my life in many amazing ways. There's so many blessings that I've had because I'm following Him, because I'm trusting Him, because I'm in relationship with Him. Our world is constantly telling us to be free. Everywhere you look, make your own choices, no matter what the result may be, and our world is falling apart because of it. At an extremely fast rate, our world is falling apart. More and more people are giving to their flesh and being destroyed by it. We're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it in our government. We see it in our culture. We see it in magazines. We see it on TV. Freedom, freedom, do it. You can do it. That's the thought. That's, that's what's, and it's destroying us. As Christians, we have such a hard time with these two twisted motives. They're a challenge. We seem to bounce between them on a regular basis. We strive for religious performance, and we become legalists, focusing on being a good disciple so much so that we're daily checking off the boxes of reading our Bible and praying that it becomes about a process again instead of the relationship. It becomes about the process instead of the relationship. We're happy with ourselves when we're doing a good job. All right, I did a good job today. And we feel terrible when we're not doing a good job. We just feel down. We're, we're at the bottom. This usually then tends to lead to a swing to the other side. All right, the rules aren't working. I need to be more free. All right? I'm, we give in to spiritual license. We rely too heavily on our freedom in Christ. And we quit doing any of it. And we feel free and amazing for a short period of time. Until we start to feel empty and feel that like there's nothing here. What, what am I doing this for? The reality is we have to get off this roller coaster. We don't even have to be on this roller coaster. We don't have to be on the roller coaster of twisted motives because the gospel is altogether different. It has nothing to do with either one. We just put them in our box and go, okay, I have to be this way or I have to be this way. The reality is, is there's a third choice. There's a third choice. You don't have to be either one of those. Another quote here from the book, The religious are bound to keeping rules, and the rebellious are bound to breaking rules. The gospel, however, tells us that we are bound not to rules, but to Christ. In Galatians 2.20 it says this, says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's not about us. It's not about us and what we can and can't do. It's about the gospel. That's the reality of it. Christ is now in us. Neither keeping the rules or breaking them should be any concern to us. It shouldn't matter anymore. Our concern should now only be following Christ, beholding Christ, resting in His grace, showing Him and only Him our obedience. Not this world, not our selfishness, not our desires. Last little part here from the book. We need to displace what is at the center of our discipleship. We need to remove rules. Rule keeping and rule breaking from the center of discipleship and replace it with the gospel, which graciously binds us to Christ's side. Instead of forming relationships gathered around rules, we need to gather around Jesus. We need to gather around Jesus. This is exactly what we're trying to do here in the firehouse. 
I know I just barely touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the answer, when it comes to what our true motivation should be in the gospel. But next week, we're going to take a, look, a deeper look into that. We're going to take a look at that gospel motivation and what it should be. Having the gospel as our motivation and gathering around Jesus more and more every day. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this short time here together. God, to look at your word, to think about it, to think about how it practically affects our lives. God, I, each one of us can be in one of these camps or the other, whether we tend to be a rule keeper or a rule breaker. God, that tends to be our bent. God, I pray that you would help us to not have that as our bent. God, I pray that our focus would be on the gospel. God, it would be on you. God, our freedom in you, and that leads to obedience in you. God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient. God, I pray that we would just love you. God, we would love you and show that by our relationship with you. God, I pray that that we wouldn't get caught up in this circle of of just checking boxes and, and sharing things, but never seeking true confession. God, I pray that we would confess our sins to you. God, we screw up every day. God, we'd be lying if we said we didn't. God, we have bad thoughts. We have bad motives. We have things every single day. God, help us to confess those to you. Help us to confess those to our brothers and pray to you about them. God, that's how you cleanse us. God, that's how you change us. That's how we become more like you. God, I pray that you help us do that. God, help us get these twisted motives out of our minds. Get them out of our hearts just to get them out of the way. God, and jump on our our true motivation of the gospel and you and what you've done for us. God, I pray you'd help us to do that. Help us to see these areas in our lives, God, things we do on a weekly basis. God, help us to get off that roller coaster. We don't want to be up and down all the time with our emotions. God, help us to look at you and to go straight to you. God, I pray you help us to do that more and more. We just thank you again for this morning. pray you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys for coming. Hopefully you enjoyed those couple clips. Those are they're fun. Hopefully spice it up a little bit. So we'll um, join, have you guys join us this week at Small Group. If you're available, again, if you haven't been to one, talk to somebody here. We'd love to have you join us. And you can look on the website as well. There's locations on there. And then we'll be back next week for the next part of our series. Thanks, guys.